Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ballistic Podcast. Live from Chennai, India, I'm your co-host, Guru Ram Prakash. And along with me from Monterey, California, is my other co-host, Vikram Kant. Uh, we're here to talk about the first round of the NBA playoffs with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we wanted to post episodes more often, but, you know, life sort of got in the way of things. And uh, hopefully today we're going to give you all the first round analysis that we have. And Vikram, it's so great to have you all on, on, on the podcast with me. So thank you very much. Hey, thank you, Guru. This is always super fun. Uh, it's been a fantastic you know, week or week plus of NBA playoff basketball. It's been thrilling. Uh, there's been a lot of really cool stuff that's happened, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. Absolutely, absolutely. So, like, let's 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 start off with the, I mean, with with the game that had the most important game, the most consequential game that happened today, Vikram, and just talk about that series as a whole as well, and and that has been the, the Clippers and the Mavs. So, um, it, the, the series has gone like back and forth, like this, the spectrum of changes that have that have occurred in this series, it, the shifts rather has have been enormous. And it all started off with the Mavs winning the first two games and, and wondering whether the Mavs were, are just going to finish finish off the series at home and leave the Clippers wondering what 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 happened, right? And, you know, leave them towards a questionable offseason. And then uh, the Clippers come back and win games three and four. And in game four, Luca was just not himself. He was suffering through a, 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 a neck-related injury. Strain. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're you know all the all the injuries. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. But the, the the fact of the matter is, he was not himself, and you uh, you had a reason to question whether he was ever going to be himself for the rest of the series. And this is why, like, uh, I mean, Vikram, I know you and I predicted that the Mavs would not win another game in the series just based on that, because it's very very clear with without Luka Doncic, the Mavs are they're just, they're not really a playoff team. And they, they really struggled to create offense for themselves and for the, the, other, the other players on the floor. But in, in game five, uh, Luka Doncic came back with another 40-point game. And, uh, yeah, they say that the playoffs, I mean, the series doesn't start until a road team wins a game. Well, the road team hasn't lost a game in this series, so I don't yeah. know, I don't know what, series, what to say. The, but, the series uh, doesn't start until one team wins a home game. Right, Exactly. And, um, and we'll see what happens in game six. But now the Mavs are up three to two. And uh, uh, logic would dictate that they're in the driver's seat. But you never know what never this know. series will, yeah, what that mean, what, what that exactly means. So, so Vikram, just take, take us through the ups and downs of this series and, and what has happened. And what are, what are your general takeaways, if you have any? Uh, actually, it's pretty simple. If Luka goes off, the Mavs win. If Luka has a subpar game, the Mavs lose. Pretty simple, point blank there. I don't really care about, like, to be honest, the only thing that the Clippers have to do is take away Luka. You know what? Dare Luka to get 30 assists in a game. I know he had 14 tonight. I know he set his playoff career high in assists. Let him keep doing that, you know? Just basically as soon as he gets a guy on his back, and you see this every single possession, right? He's not looking to beast you on the pick, uh, the pick and roll, get into the real quick. He's looking to get into the middle, put his defender on his back, force the help, put up a floater, or get the ball to the center, or get the ball out to a three-point shooter. And I'm like, if I'm the if I'm the Clippers, I'm like, yo, let's let literally anybody that is not named Luka Doncic beat us. You know what? He had 42 and 14 tonight. 
that's got to be the strategy for the Clippers. I don't really understand why they don't double Luka more, especially when he, he starts dribbling in the paint with the defender on his back, right? That's when you have to bring the help because once he has, a def- once he has his defender on his back, you, don't, you really can't help from the middle because he's just going to drop the pass off to the center. Uh, and if you help from the wings, you'll give up a wide open three, but that's like a lot better than what you've been doing so far. Let the, let the other players on the Mavs beat you. Dare Maxi Kleba to hit three threes in a game, right? It worked. Like, let's be honest, that was the Mavs game plan. They're like, you know what? Anybody that's not Kawhi or PG, you can shoot the ball. Reggie Jackson, you want to hit six or seven threes? We'll tip our cap to you. If we lose that way, we lose that way. Mark so, like, and Reggie Jackson had a hell of a game, man. I think he led. He might have led the Clippers in scoring. He, I, I'm not 100. He's had a hell of a series, quite frankly. He's he's had a very very good series. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's he's come back, man. So the starting lineup was definitely was definitely the right move by Oh yeah, for sure. I thought that was a really good play. Uh, I mean, frankly, they weren't able to guard Luca with Pat Bev anyway. So like, what's the point then? You might as well have more offense. Exactly. You, you can't if you can't take away one on one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You, you you got that you got that that, that adjustment in. Uh, I mean in uh, uh, I mean in along with uh, Luka Doncic's injury, you thought that there was a the, the Mavs were at a point of no return, and the, the Clippers were going to win Game Five and possibly win Game Six and close the series out. That's what that's what I, I, what thought, I thought was going, going to happen. Game Five pretty big. Huh? Like if if you had given me, I thought the Clippers were going to win Game Five pretty big, like yeah. ten plus point victory, and fairly easily too. So for us to be having this conversation, I'm super impressed by the Mavs, and of course Luka Doncic, who's basically cementing himself as a top five player in the NBA right now. Absolutely, absolutely, He's top five, top five driving player. this match. And, and it, like if if there's a guy who can, an international player who can build a playoff legacy. That is uh, that rivals Dirk Nowitzki. It's Luka Doncic. Yeah, and it, it looks like he's going to achieve that, man. I mean, like, this is insane, right? And the biggest part about his game is it's so. It, it, his game is going to be so. Sorry, let me let me rephrase this. The longevity of his game is going to be extraordinary because he doesn't play athletic. Although he had a nice alley oop uh, layup in in the game, right? But like, his game is not athletic. He's not trying to beat you with athleticism. But he is going to beat you with strength. He is so much bigger than the average point guard. And he's just able to take them on the block, make those fadeaways, make that strong move inside. He took Paul George to school in the post in the third quarter. with uh, When the Clippers actually made a run and they were up, I think, uh, they were up by five at one point. And he made a drop step, up and under fake layup and one on Paul George for his fourth foul. And that was one thing that Ty Lue mentioned after the game, that Paul George picking up his fourth foul uh, really set them back. And I think it did because Paul George was able to get into the paint at will at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And I thought that the Mavs really, really struggled in the fourth quarter to get constructive offense. And for whatever reason, they just weren't able to get good looks. I thought the Clippers played decent defense there, but I really thought it was a case of the Mavs just being a little out of sorts, even when Luca came back in after I think two minutes or so of rest. So that was an interesting piece of it. The other really interesting adjustment to me for the Mavs was starting Boban Yarmarjanovic. Uh, that was interesting to me, very strange to me actually. So you know, and on the other side, the Clippers were going small most of the game with Markeith Morris ostensibly at the five. So it was it was a really interesting matchup, right? You had 
KP and Boban right next to each other. And then you had Hardaway, DFS, and Luka Doncic. Really interesting matchup battle uh, between Tyron Lue and Rick Carlisle. So it's it's a heck of a series. It's actually been my favorite first-round series so far. It's been one of my favorites too, and I think it's because of that. Because of that, the, just the like obviously the, the the star power of Luka Doncic versus uh, uh, obviously the, the Clippers won this matchup, right? They they, wow. they they lost a couple of games to end the season to to have to have this matchup and 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 to have to create create their own de- their own road to the Western Conference Finals, and uh, and obviously by by doing this, you you walk into like uh, a matchup thinking that you have you have the advantage, but uh, maybe maybe not, right? And and Luka Doncic is proving that he's the kind of superstar you don't want to face in any playoff series. He he yep. sort of showed that last year. The Mavs are just were just too young to overcome uh, uh, overcome like some of the um, um, inabilities they had to put uh, to put the ball in the basket. And uh, it, it, that's true even this year. That's true even this year. But Luka's a year older. It's it's clear that he's he's able to de- he's able to take over a game more effectively this year than he than he ever did last year. Uh, game, game four was really an anomaly more than anything else. I hope that injury does not come back to. I just uh, hope it improves, effective. right? I think I yeah. think it's one of those things that with more time he'll improve. I do want to remark about one thing because I think it's particularly important. Uh, I think one of the biggest changes from last year to this year is Dorian Finney-Smith really emerging on offense. Like, his defense has always been uh, pretty good, but his emergence as a shooting threat and then making decent decisions off the dribble. I think that's really been a huge, huge, huge improvement in his game. I think he is the unsung hero of tonight's game, no matter what happens. And I'm not just talking about that last play where he was in Kawhi's airspace when he airballed that three at the end of the game. Uh, BT Dubs, everybody, if you want to see a really funny GIF, you have to watch – Rajon Rondo giving Kawhi Leonard a look after he airballed that three. That oh look on God. his face is priceless. Oh, it's 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 priceless. And like if if we know if you know Rajon Rondo very well, Vikram, we know exactly what was said. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I can imagine. And I mean, Rajon Rondo has uh, has seen greatness at every level. Yeah, uh, he kind of knows the game. He knows the score and frankly he knows what it takes to win a championship and uh frankly that ain't it and he knew how much time was on the clock when Kawhi wanted to take that three yep yep they had so, time uh, he shot with like seven seconds left on the clock it made little to no sense to do that if you're going to yep, take that yep. desperation three you could have always gotten that off exactly exactly and, and i mean uh i mean for the clippers uh, I, I want to say you have to go back to the drawing board here, but really, it's for them. It's just about like going going into Game Six and going with the same mentality and winning in Games Three and Four. And if you're if you're the Mavs, like for once, take advantage of the home court that you have and try to close out the series because you don't know what's what might happen in the Game Seven. It's a, it's a do or die game. You talked about this even during the play-in games, Vikram. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, a do or die game. You just you just never know what's going to happen. So. If you're the Mavs, take care of business, and you know, like and the Clippers postmortems are some of, some of our favorite postmortems on the Ballistic Podcast, and I'm sure they're the favorite postmortems of like many other podcasts across America. So, um, like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to say uh, looking forward to it, but um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Uh, anyways, um, moving on. Um, uh, another thing we wanted to talk about 
was, um, okay, well, like today, the, the Sixers closed out the, the Wizards. Sort of no surprise there, but the, the bigger concern is Joel Embiid's health. Uh, he has a, a torn meniscus. Apparently, it's, uh, it's a very small tear to the point where the, he can get treatment and he's day-to-day. He's but um, you, you wonder whether uh, that meniscus tear is big enough to create swelling in his knee and uh, you know, may, may render him ineffective in, in a playoff series when they would actually need Joel Embiid to be effective. And they'll be playing the Atlanta Hawks who took care of business against the New York Knicks. It's clear the Knicks need more offense in order to be a compatible playoff team moving forward. This, this year was a great story for them. Obviously, uh, a lot of good things happened. And, you know, you, you want to take baby steps when you're a franchise like the, like the Knicks and, and moving forward into the future. But it's clear w- where they have to improve. And it will be, it will be the Sixers and the Hawks next, next round. And uh, I, I would like to think they, the Sixers have the advantage in that series. But, um, yeah, it's uh, not, if it's not healthy. healthy. Yeah, Joel Embiid's health looms large. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you only need look at the Lakers-Suns series to see the impact of health on uh, these types of matchups, right? Whether it's Chris Paul's health really dooming the Suns or LeBron James and Andy Davis's health essentially shafting the Lakers. Uh, health looms large in all of these series. And so... Joel Embiid, you may recall, actually, in the Colangelo era, uh, he had a small meniscus tear as well, and he didn't play for the rest of the season. So we'll see. It's a different regime, certainly. Uh, but we'll see if that is actually the case. Well, I, I don't doubt the small meniscus tear, but I do doubt how much he'll play. And uh, given the fact that Trey Young is going to be the one that's handling the ball and they're going to put Joel Embiid in pick and roll over and over and over and over and over again, uh, I'm not sure him with a meniscus tear is exactly what I would want. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the meniscus tears, they, they tend to affect bigs more than they do smalls. especially if you're big. lateral movement. Yep. Do you know who the best analog for this is? You know, uh, another uh, center that had a meniscus tear in a championship-esque series? Uh, another center who had a meniscus. Uh, God. Um, I'll give you a championship. Two thousand ten. Two thousand and ten. Oh, was it Kevin Garnett? It was one Andrew Bynum. Oh, got it. But that didn't really. I mean, like, yeah. Obviously, obviously, the Lakers would have been so so dominant, but they, they won the series anyways. But uh, but, but I mean, they, all Andrew Bynum did was be big. He could not like move really, couldn't really jump. But you know, he stayed tall and, and all that good stuff. The other thing for me is like it, it also level, it also it also ended his career, Vikram. Yeah, more or less, and that, so it's not a great analog for Joel Embiid. But I think the bigger thing for me is if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, you kind of have to be realistic here. Uh, and that is, if Joel Embiid comes out in the first couple games, I think Nate Duncan made this point too uh, on the Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Like, if Joel Embiid comes out and he's insanely dominant, right, and is able to carry Philadelphia to a win in the first game, great, keep playing him because you might have a chance in the next series. If he comes out and he's just there, if he's just a body that's better than Dwight Howard, because he's better than Dwight Howard, even at 70% or whatever he would be at, 
it's not really worth it because that Joel Embiid cannot help you win against either a Brooklyn or a Milwaukee. So at that point, it's time to just sit him and see what you can do. There's still a chance, even without Joel Embiid, that you could beat the Hawks. Oh, right. Yeah, right? absolutely. absolutely. I, like, so at that point, we're really wondering, hey, maybe it's time to sit Joel Embiid rather than, you know, have him play in a pointless playoff series to go get knocked out by whoever wins the bloodbath out of Brooklyn and, uh, and Milwaukee, right? So I think that is a good observation and probably a true one. And, and, and Ben Simmons at the five is not a bad option. Yeah. Oh, he, he had a triple-double for a reason. Huh? Say that again? He had a triple-double for a reason. Yep. Yes, yes, he did. He's a mismatch there. He's a mismatch for any big he wants to come out and defend him. And, he, like, he, he, can, he can guard bigs in the post as well. And, like, when he gets out and runs, it's very, very difficult for his matchup to catch up with him. So I would love to see. Yeah. I would love to, love to, love to see him play center defending Clint Capella. Have Clint Capella set a pick for uh, for uh, for Trey Young and have Ben Simmons switch on to Trey Young. I think that's not great for uh, for the Hawks. I think they would probably go more to a John Collins pick and roll then. But you know, I think this is going to be a fascinating series if Joel Embiid isn't going to play as well defensively at least. And I uh, like can I can I say something? Uh, Tyrese Maxey's great. No, uh, he's I, awesome. He's awesome. He, He's awesome, and like I'm, I'm. He's probably best coming off the bench. I'm just, I'm just looking for a way like he can get him in the starting lineup somehow. But like he's probably best off the bench as a, as a bench scorer, like and, and basically also, uh, providing the depth. Yeah, I also like Gunner Seth Curry. I was like, am I watching Steph or Seth tonight? Because he, uh, he was pretty flammable tonight, man. Yeah, thirty tonight, and, and the Sixers had to win today. They they had to take yeah, care of. They the really team. did. You you did not want to be in a position as a team to second guess whether to play Joel Embiid, and and that's yeah. part of the danger of not playing Joel Embiid is that if you uh, if you are down two one to to the Hawks, the Hawks steal a game in Philly, and the Hawks win game three, which which is completely possible. It's it's within the realm of possibility, definitely, right? So uh, and, it's not uh, unlikely. In fact, it, that Joel Embiid is not playing. It, it, Exactly. So in game four, do you you do you put the game uh, Joel Embiid as a game time decision, and, and that is that that's risky, right? You're putting a player who's injured in a game game time decision sort of scenario, where look like you're playing uh, and like a day and warning him only a day in advance. That's that's not a good position for him to be as well, and that's almost a position that uh, the Sixers were going to be in had they lost today's game. They would have had to like really contemplate whether to play Joel Embiid or not. So um, uh, good for them for winning today. They, they had to take care of business. They're a better team than they were a better team than the Wizards, even without Joel Embiid. So they, they, oh, had, yeah. they have to impose their will in that way. So yeah, good, good, good for them. And and let's move on to the other uh, other other big news that happened today. Well, very quickly, Hawks Hawks Knicks. Were you able to take anything away from that series? Um, just very quickly. Uh, Trey Young is ice Trey for sure. He loved yeah. playing in New York. That was pretty fun. Uh, I just thought this was a, a real illustration of why offense does matter. You know, like we can say defense wins championships all the time, but like in this offensively, offensively tailored NBA, like you need to have a certain baseline amount of scoring to be competitive in games. And the Knicks never had that. It's, it's pretty much that simple. So I'll be interested to see what they do to add some pieces 
for the offense. You know, it's great to have Todd Gibson. It's great to have New Orleans Noel. It's great to do all that stuff, but they need offense in the worst possible way. Yeah, Julius and Julius Randle, when he's being game planned against in a playoff series, he's a much, much different player. And that's Absolutely. not Julius Randle's fault. It's just that the, the players that are around him are, are, are just not very good on offense. There's so not like, space for him to operate, right? Like, yeah. I thought the fact – I'm not sure that it was really anything Julius Randle could have done. I mean, obviously, he could have played better, certainly. But, like, he would make a drive. There would be three defenders. He would take it out. They would miss the shot. Like, you know, it's pretty simple. Absolutely. I mean, and he, I mean for the, for the Knicks – uh, offense has to be a priority for them this offseason. You just hope that, like, with, with the money that they're going to be opening up, right, they, they, the, the year that they had all the money in free agency, they signed a bunch of players to, uh, to minimum-level deals, right? They're, they're going to be bringing Julius Randle back, obviously. He's the most improved player, deservedly so. Uh, but they are going to have to add more, more offense to this team. And you just, you just hope that this is not the, the Knicks of yesteryear and they end up making the wrong signings that set them back once again. Um, that would not be good, but you know, well, this is a new front office, so you know that this, helps a lot. That's this is a new front office that helps a lot, and uh, R.J. Barrett has to take a step up next year. And, and, yeah, and, I mean, he's he definitely took a step forward this year too. So I don't yeah. want to say that he didn't improve, but you know, he needs to essentially have a star turn, right? He has to be the number number three pick in the draft. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does. You're absolutely correct on that, right? I mean, I think there's absolutely potential for that to be the case, too. Uh, I don't want to... I don't actually want to say that that's not possible. He actually did a number of things this year that I thought... I would not have thought was possible before. So I'm very encouraged by his development this year. Obviously, Julius Randle as a story uh, was really pretty impressive this year. Uh, I will say the fact that Trey Young wasn't an all-star is probably looking pretty bad right now. Just going to put that out there. Say that again, hey, Vikram. I Sorry. The fact that Trey Young wasn't an all-star this year is looking pretty bad. It's looking pretty the, bad. The, uh, the NBA it's coaches a, right now. But, but uh, like, with all due respect, at the all-star break, we, didn't, we did not think the Hawks were going to be a playoff team. They had really underperformed at the time, so that's fair, but at the same time, eh. And, and, and Nick McMillan wins a first-round series, Vikram. Who knew? Who would have thought? I know, right? Yeah. So, I mean, good for him. Yeah, yeah good, good for him. I'm happy. I thought Tim's had a great year, too. I thought the Knicks had a great year. So, overall, a fun series. Happy for the Hawks. I would have been happy for the Knicks, too. And I'm excited to see them against Philly. Uh, let's really quickly knock off the Jazz-Memphis series, which essentially beyond having that exciting game one uh, really wasn't all that exciting. So. Yeah, the, the game one drama and the game one off the court drama was probably the biggest, the, the biggest things that were that happened in the series. Otherwise, it was a whitewash, and uh, Jazz took the Jazz took care of business. I I I, I don't want to overanalyze that series for on, for the Jazz perspective or from Memphis's perspective. It's it, uh, it's really clear the Warriors would have been a better matchup for the Jazz. It would have been more yeah more than, interesting. than the Grizzlies were. Yeah, yeah the Grizzlies uh, I will were. say. I'll make two points. One, Donovan Mitchell looks like he's healthy, finally, which is good. I'm really excited to see what he can do in the second round against, uh, hopefully, the Mavs. We'll see if the Clippers can not clip. Uh, on the other side, I am a little concerned about Mike Conley's health. 
because that's one thing that came out of this game. Still has that sore left hamstring. Uh, so if he can't go, they, they do have a few extra days of rest here. Uh, if he has any issues and he can't go, uh, I think the Jazz might be in trouble a little bit at least. So we'll see there. Uh, outside of that, I think Memphis is an up-and-coming team. We'll see what they can do to make forward progress, but it's going to have to come a lot within uh, with internal improvement, especially with Jaron Jackson. Maybe Jaron Jackson for a season. Jared. I mean, maybe if he's healthy for a season, uh, something can change there. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll definitely see. We'll definitely see. And uh, yeah, just uh, moving forward, if you want to talk about the the other big story that happened in the NBA today, um, uh, that was uh, not really related to playoff basketball, but uh, was related to the fact that the Boston Celtics got eliminated by the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, they made some very significant changes in their front office. Uh, namely, uh, Danny Ainge has retired. He, uh, he has stepped down as the president of basketball operations. And uh, even and more surprisingly, the guy who's going to take his place what is the former head coach of the Boston Celtics. That is Brad Stevens. So Brad Stevens is going to be the president of basketball operations. And he will be a part of the process that chooses the next coach. And um, uh, logic would dictate that the next coach is going to be coming from within the Celtics organization, which, uh, like, you know, uh, I, I don't quite understand. I, I, don't, I don't quite understand the entire, like, spectrum of the move from, like, from Brad Stevens' perspective. Uh, I don't really look at him as a GM type. He's always been a coach to me from his time in Butler to his time coaching the Celtics when they were a young, up-and-coming, uh, rebuilding squad, right? That was really where, that, that was really where he did his best work. Right, Brad, Brad Stevens, but like now he's going to be in the front office. He's going to be the, at the head of the front office. He's going directly to the top. So uh, it's, it's definitely going to be very, very interesting to follow what his philosophy is, how it differs from Danny Ainge, or how it is, how is it, does, how it does not differ from Danny Ainge, and uh, who he chooses as the coach, and how do how do the Celtics move forward building their their roster uh, when they uh, they had all these draft picks uh, uh, obviously in the, in the past, and they they've sort of uh, squandered them. And, and now have to figure out a way to try to improve their team while Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown are moving towards being max players. So, um, Vikram, your general thoughts on what, what happened with the Celtics earlier today? Uh, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me, particularly because Brad Stevens is a top five coach. Why suddenly do you want to make a jump to the front office? Unless he wanted to leave and, and the Celtics basically said, Look, stay in our organization. Here's the uh, bas- president of basketball operations job. Uh, I don't like you said. I don't really see what the upside is for Brad Stevens making this move because he was already, like I said, a top five NBA coach, right? Like if you wanted greener pastures, I'm sure that we, that could have been facilitated. Uh, the president of basketball operations is just weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Danny Ainge leaving. I think he had a difficult time this season. I think some of his moves this season were really questionable, starting with that Gordon Hayward sign-in trade that didn't happen to the Pacers, if that was indeed something that was offered. Uh, that would have drastically changed the season for them. Uh, other than that, the Tristan Thompson signing is pretty rough. That's something that's going to handicap them next year, too. So, overall, his performance has not been great. He's, he's definitely – his performance overall as the Boston – president of basketball operations head decision maker has been exemplary so in fairness we have to give him credit for his success throughout his time in that job so i don't want to be here saying hey Danny, you did a terrible job but it is also a fact that he made less than ideal decisions about maximizing their talent uh, and that is something that you know he really struggled with uh, at this latter part of his tenure with the boston celtics so 
they have a bunch of Romeo Langfords and uh, and Semi Ojale's, Gershon Yabusele's, RJ Hunter. I mean, I can go on and on and on with this, right? So we'll see what uh, what Brad Stevens does. An interesting point. We'll see who he likes on the roster. <laughs> if he didn't like you, you might not be there anymore. <laughs> exactly. He, if he did not like you on the court, you you might you might not be there anymore. You might get traded. Uh, and, and if he did like you, you know, well, you might get overpaid. And we'll, we'll, we'll exactly. see. For the first guy on the list is Evan Fournier. Evan Fournier, exactly. We'll see uh, yes. how much he liked him. I mean, I yeah. think they're going to have to keep Fournier. I'm not sure that they can replace him. And, and, and this is sort of this is sort of the Doc Rivers thing, right? Bringing a coach's mind to to the front office, and and that really has its I mean, they ha- it has its cons, right? One of one of the cons is like Doc Rivers. Uh, you you know that Doc Rivers signed Josh Smith that one year from uh, when he was on the Clippers, right? Yeah. And the year he signed Josh Smith, yeah, the comment that he made was that uh, I saw him in the Rockets Clippers series and I really liked him, so I wanted to sign him. Well, that that's not how it how it works exactly. Uh, I, I would like to think that Brad Stevens has a more open mind and a, a more worldly worldly view than what Doc Rivers, uh, at least what he stated. But that's exactly that why particular Doc Rivers is not the president of basketball operations anymore. So, yeah, I mean, uh, like one thing we should say is uh, the one thing they did get right there was that he is only the president of basketball operations. He's also not also the coach. He's not. Also so that's pretty significant. Because, like, these uh, combined coach, president of basketball operations, outside of Greg Popovich, and it's kind of like a shared responsibility with R.C. Buford, uh, or it was at least, that relationship is different than every other one in the league, and every other example of that has been very poor. So at least they're doing that part right. So in, in that sense, I'm kind of encouraged. I'm actually kind of interested to see what he can accomplish here, uh, but certainly I'm not holding my breath for them to be making huge moves in free agency. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Jalen Brown is traded or something crazy like that. Well, there was a Boston article that came out that uh, the Celtics have to either get rid of Brad Stevens or Jalen Brown. Do you call this get rid of, getting rid of Brad Stevens, at least from the coaching booth? I don't know. Uh, or the coaching box. I don't know what you call it, but uh, the bench. Okay, whatever. I'm messing my terms up. But, I mean, but I, do think, I do think one thing we've learned – just through these like last couple playoffs is it is difficult to like it used to be the two wings is the perfect combination for winning basketball i think looking at the clippers this year having two wings that are two-way wings like you don't get much better than paul george and and Kawhi leonard right like you would definitely say jalen brown and and jason tatum is worse than Kawhi leonard and paul george and i'm not even sure at their best they're ever going to be that good like, they may be, but uh, I wouldn't put my money on that. I mean, if so, there's any chance, like, it, it would be because Jason Tatum took a step up. And uh, I, actually like, think, uh, I think Jalen Brown has the higher ceiling of the two, to be honest. Mm. That's, a very, that's, that's a very interesting take. Most people would disagree with you on that. They can disagree with me all they want. I think that what Jalen Brown is able to do in some ways is a little – I think he's – a better athlete than Jason Tatum. I think he has a higher ceiling. I think that he has a lower floor, though, and I think in terms of expected value, I expect Jason Tatum to be better. And uh, but, if, 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 if the Celtics are not interested in continuing their, their two-wing combo, I know a team that has draft picks and young yes. players. <laughs> Let's get every, every available wing. Every available wing. Go to the Warriors. Yes. That is the goal, sir. That is the goal. 
at least one of them has to hit, right? I mean, like, well, unfortunately you, for, uh, for the Warriors, the Celtics. Yeah, definitely. But unfortunately for the Warriors with the Celtics, uh, I think Robert Williams is better than James Wiseman at this point. I think so too. I think so too. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, well, we'll that makes it kind of tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the Warriors' future is depressing. So, anyways, move, moving on. Let's let's talk a little Lakers and Suns. So before we uh, before we close up this podcast, so um, Lakers and Suns. It's been uh, it's, this is another one of those very very interesting series that's gone up and down. Uh, game one, the the, the the Suns were able to win. Uh, game two, the Lakers showed their dominance. They showed why they were the favorite going into the series as a seven seed. And, and then in, in game three, again, the Lakers showed they showed their dominance. And uh, I will always remember that image of Andre Drummond on the bench mimicking LeBron James on the post against Jay Crowder. And they were pretty much mocking Jay Crowder every single time. Uh, he, he was down the floor guarding LeBron James. And that, that to me, I, I thought like the series from a mental standpoint was over for the, for the Suns. They just looked mentally drained. And, and Chris Paul was also hurt. And so that didn't help things at all. And it, it, it really felt that. Uh, the Suns were on the downswing, but uh, Chris Paul came back. He was he was he was a lot, he was a lot better in, in Game Four, or at least he 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 showed that he was re- recovering a lot better. And uh, the, the the Suns were able to win Game Four, but they probably would not have won Game Four had Anthony Davis stayed he- stayed healthy throughout the duration of the game. He did not. He suffered a groin injury, uh, and uh, that groin injury was significant enough to have him sit in Game Five. And uh, the Lakers got uh, consequently crushed in Game Five. So, so Game Game Six apparently, um, apparently Anthony Davis is doing a lot better. Uh, I I don't know what kind of difference two days makes, but you know, uh, medical staffs in the NBA have been known to do miracles. Uh, Luca was reaching for the back of his neck uh, in uh, in Game Four, but in Game Five he wasn't doing such a thing. So, like, I guess magic uh, magic really does exist. Anything uh, but, is possible. Yeah. Huh. Say that again. Basically, any, anything is possible. A- anything is possible. A- any pain-killing injection will would do the trick, I presume. So, um, with with Andrew Davis coming back, do you like the Lakers' chances in Game Six? Uh, particularly also because Chris Paul reaggravated his shoulder in Game Five. Uh, I think there's a chance, unless we get Super Saiyan campaign again, who. Uh, He's balling, dude. I'm loving what Campaign is doing right now, but like, I don't know how sustainable that is. But I think the Lakers have a decent shot if Anthony Davis is, I don't know, 80%, and Chris Paul is, I don't know, like 50%. So I think the Lakers might have a shot there. But to be 100% honest, I think that this year is just kind of a snake bitten year for the Lakers. Uh, I'm not entirely sure they're going to make the progress they need to. Uh, to win this series, which I know I'm counting out LeBron and I'm probably going to regret doing that, but I think the Suns are likely to win this series. And, and, and I mean, I mean, you, you make, you make a great point. I think like uh, one thing I did not see because I, I sort of tuned out of the Clippers and Lakers game to, to watch, uh, to watch yesterday's Nuggets and Blazers games, just Blazer game, just like you did. I did not see clear Chris Paul's injury until I saw the highlights. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, when, when I saw that, uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, he's going back to the locker room. He, he's going to be getting treatment on that. How is he going to come back in, in game six? And he, if he is at 50%, the, the Suns, like, they, they, they are a different team when Chris Paul is not there. 
Like let's yeah. let's be frank about it. And uh, yeah. like it will it'll be on the shoulders of Devin Booker to carry to carry the team. I'm not sure he's, he's as ready for that as as they would need him to be if the Lakers do get Anthony Davis back. So like yeah. it, it, there's a lot of help related um, uh, sort of combinations and permutations and lineups. We have to see what happens and how 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 are the minutes divided too? Because even if Anthony Davis plays plays, how many minutes does he play? Like how, yeah. how many minutes could he possibly play with a groin injury if he reaggravated again? I mean, yeah, it was uh, it was something that you kept you out of the rest of Game Four and Game Five. You weren't able to play on it. Um, what what happens in the future? So I mean, uh, I I can't wait for Game Six. I can't wait to see. Uh, I mean, the Lakers in a do or die situation, and the, the Suns have a chance to you know advance to the second round for the first time in a decade. I think those are all fair points. Like I said, I predict the Suns winning this game six, even though it's in LA. And I, you know, I'm kind of rooting for the Lakers because they're kind of like my. Uh, I grew up with the Lakers and the Kobe Shaq teams, as well as the Warriors teams of the uh, early aughts, which uh, were not very good. So the Lakers were always a fun watch, and I enjoyed those uh, Lakers Kings rivalries. So I have a soft spot in my heart for the Lakers as well. So I'm rooting for them, but I see, I think I see the writing on the wall uh, a little bit more. I'm not nearly as positive as you on this. You're not nearly, you're not nearly as positive as me. And, uh, well, I, 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 I don't, I don't take a favorable stance on the Lakers. You know that. Uh, I think I, I try to, I try to look at it from a, uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess a, a more even, even standpoint than, than, than you would. I, I, I do think it, it is based on AD's health. If, if AD is healthy, then then the Lakers would have a really really good chance. If he's not, yeah, the Lakers don't have, totally don't have a chance. And and that's that's really really what it comes down to. Like we, we talked about it with Luca at the top, right? If Luca Doncic plays well, the Mavs win. Luca Doncic doesn't play well, the Mavs lose. Sometimes basketball is that simple. So I, yeah. it, it, it it does really come down to that when we when we talk about the playoffs. So like we'll, we'll see. And like just really really quickly, uh, Nuggets Blazers. It's been a fantastic series. Uh, we all know what happened in Game Five. Uh, who wins Game Six in your mind? I predict that. I mean, I, I kind of see this going seven. I, I feel do. like that's where this series is going, man. I, I do too. I do too. I, I think. Uh, I think. I think Damian Lillard comes in with a with more uh, often with a, with a with a mindset to score and score early and score often. And 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 to, and and you know take a big lead to the point where uh, Denver's not able to come back. Sort of what happened in Game Four, for uh, for, for, for for the Blazers. So um, yeah, so, I mean so, the one thing I do worry about is like, and I think they said it on the broadcast too. When you lose that type of game, it can be emotionally exhausting. And I don't think you can count on another Damian Lillard, you know, supernova break the NBA record for three types of game. Whereas on the other side, I think you can count on another really good Jokic game just because of the matchup. So I'm not sure, man. I think it'll be really interesting, but I'm kind of worried about the Blazers uh, in this series. I'm, I'm a little worried about the Blazers in the series. I'm not worried about the Blazers in game six. I do think it goes seven. I think the Nuggets win in seven. I think it's, I yeah. think it's, but I think it's a very good series. And yeah, we'll, we'll see who wins. So uh, with that, we're, we're going we're gonna to close, close off this podcast. And yeah. Uh, we can't wait for the second round to start. And when, when the second round starts, we'll, we're definitely going to talk about Nets and Bucks. There's just so much to talk about there. We, we could probably fit that into an entire episode. Uh, right, Vikram? It's, it's going to be insane. 
Oh yeah, that that is going to be the, I think the pinnacle of playoff basketball for us. Like truly, this, like this entire year. Like to be frank, even including conference finals and finals, I think nuts and bucks is going to be the best series. And, oh yeah, uh, I think I, I do think so as well. So. And uh, yeah, and you, and you know, like the the way the Bucks are coming into the series, if the Nets are able to handle the Bucks, the way the way the Bucks are like coming into the series, like very very hot and very very confident, then you can pretty much, I think, pencil in the Nets as your champion. Uh, I, I, I at that point, I don't think any any team could possibly beat them. The the, the Bucks have the best shot at beating the Nets. Let's let's put it that. Yeah, way. I think it's. I mean, you know, I know we will probably do a full episode on it, but like just briefly, I think that. It's a pretty good matchup. Now, I will. The one comment I want to make straight up at the beginning is that uh, the Bucks never beat all three of the big three of the Nets in, in a game, right? And so that's probably the first big thing I would say. But with that aside, I think the biggest factor in this series, and I know it's going to sound really weird, is I actually think Jeff Green being hurt is really problematic for them. Uh, because without Jeff Green, I, who's going to guard Giannis? I think you might end up having to play DeAndre Jordan because I think Nick Claxton's too small. And if that's the case, you might be in some serious trouble. So I'm really interested to see what happens, man. But I think it could be – I think defensively there hasn't been a worse team as a contender in a long, long time. So we'll see. I mean, I know that in this offensive, uh, in this offensive generation of NBA basketball, uh, sometimes that doesn't get taken into account. But, like, you still have to be – competent defense and i'm not sure the with the with the personnel that this the nets have in this particular matchup they're going to be a competent defense i don't think that for example kevin durant or blake griffin can really defend uh Giannis. so we'll see but i would be somewhat worried and, and, and if, if you like, look at the if you look at the other side like uh, like drew holiday i think is going to be the x factor in this series to, uh, on, and that, that's going to be on the defensive end. Who does he guard on any given possession? And like uh, Kevin Durant has repeatedly said, said that like Drew Holiday is one of the like best defenders he's ever faced in, in, in his career, right? And a, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, offensively gifted guards have, uh, have said that. So he's going to switch between Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and, 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 and Kevin Durant. And I think, uh, I, I think uh, Chris Middleton is going to have the uh, like primary responsibility on James Harden. And, I believe uh, he will. And I, I do think that um, PJ Tucker might play a, a bigger role in this series than uh, than you might think. I think he. I think, think PJ Tucker is going to end up playing on. A, I think he's going to end up playing KD a fair amount. Yep, he's going to end up playing KD a fair amount, and I think he's in the lineups that finish finish the games at the very least. And yeah. if you're if you're a guy like Bryn Forbes, you you better pack your 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 gun chest, your gun case. Um, and just like you did in the Miami Heat series, because you're going to need uh, all of the shots to fall. Heck yeah. Uh, the other question I, I really have is, I don't think the way it, it looks right now that, I think Brooke Lopez is going to play a decent amount in this series. Who the heck defends Brooke Lopez? And we've he's like had a renaissance right now uh, with his inside scoring. So I'm really curious. Like if you put your center on, on Giannis, and Brooke Lopez gets the mash. I don't know, like Kevin Durant, put fouls on him, put him in, you know, get him tired, be physical with him on offense. You know, I think that could be a real problem for them. And the other thing is, if you play like a DeAndre Jordan in this game, that allows, that really, really, really allows uh, 
Brooke Lopez to be essentially a, you know, roamer, right? He like, just gets to stand in the paint, right? And he's very good at that. So I, I think there's a lot of really interesting wrinkles that are going to be that are going to be coming up in this game. Yep, and we're going to have an entire episode about it, guys. So stay tuned for that. Um, and uh, yeah, for Brook Lopez, it's also a revenge series for him. We thought his his career was over, quite frankly, when he suffered all of those injuries with the Nets, the team that was that that was that he got drafted to, right? So like, it's also a chance to show that he, this is how far he has come. So uh, with that, uh, we're going to end this episode. Uh, uh, for Vikram, uh, I'm Guru. Uh, we'll definitely talk to you guys very soon. Thanks so much yep. for listening. Everybody, have a good night.